The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here's your top five at Hive. First, we'll start with President Biden defending the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan as he retools decades of foreign policy to face what he calls the 21st century threat. Out like a lamb, stocks ending August on a down note as the S&P does something for the first time since 2017. Oil refineries are part of the discussion today, picking up the pieces in the wake of Hurricane Ida ahead of an always busy Labor Day holiday weekend. We'll break all of that down for you. Apple facing some new headaches ahead of its launch of its latest Apple Watch wearable. And investor appetite for cryptocurrencies is growing well beyond Bitcoin. We'll get that and more. It is Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us today. Here's a look at how stock futures are looking on the first day of September trade here. Uh, Stocks did close higher yesterday. The S&P right now higher in pre-market, up 17 points. Take a look at the Dow. Wow, we're up about 160 points in pre-market trade. So we are indicated to open higher here on September 1st. The S&P 500 is coming off its seventh positive month in a row. This is the longest monthly winning streak Since the end of December 2017, uh, we're now up 20 percent for the S&P so far this year. But take a look at the Nasdaq capping off a three month winning streak. Some of the sectors to take a look at. uh, It's not just technology that's been working because financials seeing its best monthly gain since April. And then there's the story around oil. August was actually the worst month for oil since October. WTI crude, take a look at this, down about 6% in August. Uh, And at this hour, though, trading fractionally higher at $71.79. As we talk about oil versus clean energy, which part of this equation will work for investors? We'll take a look at Tesla. It's been down on the year, but staging a comeback in the month of August, you can see right here, uh, it's up about 7% just in the month of August. But over the last, since July, you'll see up around 8%. To this morning's other top corporate stories. The new Apple Watch is reportedly running into production problems that will likely result in delivery delays. According to Nikkei Asia, the smartwatch's complicated design and production quality standards are to the main culprit. Citing sources close to the matter, the report says production for the watch is currently on hold as Apple and its suppliers address the issues. Google is pushing off its return to office date until January 10th, 2022. In an email to employees yesterday, CEO Sundar Pichai said, quote, beyond January 10th, we will enable countries and locations to make determinations on when to end voluntary work from home based on local conditions, which do vary greatly across our office. Pichai adding that employees will receive a 30-day notice before they are expected to come back to the office. Fast chain sandwich chain Pret and Manger says it sold the most coffee and sandwiches in the financial districts of London and Canary Wharf last week since the pandemic began. A possible sign that bankers, asset managers and corporate lawyers 
have, for the most part, returned to the office. Now, the transaction volume in the areas that include the European headquarters of BlackRock, Goldman Sachs and others was about 57 percent of pre-COVID levels, according to Bloomberg. The week-on-week increase coincided with a modest jump in transactions in downtown Manhattan, cluster that includes where sales are now back to a third of pre-pandemic levels. In the face of political backlash and a Taliban that was celebrating the U.S. removing itself from Afghanistan, President Biden defending his decision to end the 20-year war in Afghanistan while also pledging more evacuation efforts on the ground. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us live from Washington on their reaction to that speech yesterday, Tracy. Yeah, Seema, the war is over, but it looks like the evacuation effort is not. And in that speech, the president pledged to bring home every American who wants to come. The withdrawal is complete. My fellow Americans, the war in Afghanistan is now over. It was time to end this war. With nothing but disabled equipment left at the Kabul airport, President Biden defends his decision to leave. I was not going to extend this forever war. And I was not extending a forever exit. He called the evacuation of 124,000 people an extraordinary success. Far from a success, this is a fiasco and a humiliating failure. Despite the president's promise to get everyone out, up to 200 Americans were left behind. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. But working with the Taliban is an unknown. A Taliban spokesman says they want good relations with the U.S. They're going to have to earn everything from the international community through actions, not words. Critics worry the Taliban will once again provide safe harbor for terrorists. We are less safe as a result of this self-inflicted wound. From the president, a stern warning. To ISIS-K, we are not done with you yet. A war ended. The mission of keeping America safe and getting Americans home still ongoing. And that will now be a diplomatic, not a military mission. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says that the diplomatic efforts will now be headed out of the U.S. Embassy in Doha. And actually talks took place this morning between the Indian Foreign Ministry and Taliban in Doha. So that seems to be where some of these meetings are starting to happen. I'm curious, Tracy, this is a a group that wants to be desperately recognized by the international community uh, as a legitimate government. But uh, Taliban says they also want to work with the U.S., but we still want to understand their connection to that ISIS terrorist threat that killed 13 U.S. service members last week. Right. That's a concern. They are rivals. But at a rally yesterday in in one of the provinces in Afghanistan, one of the speakers praised uh, the suicide bomber, the ISIS-K suicide bomber that killed 13 Americans at the airport last week. And so it is going to be critical uh, for the U.S. to understand the relationship between the two, because in as much as they uh, were rivals, they do have some common interests in Afghanistan. And certainly uh, the reason we were there for 20 years is because the Taliban has a history of harboring terrorists. It certainly does. We will watch to see how this relationship uh, develops over time. Tracy, thank you. Tracy Potts in D.C. 
Turning to markets now, with futures indicating a higher open here on September 1st, the S&P 500 rounding out its seventh straight positive month in August. And now the question is, what happens in September? Let's bring in Lindsay Bell, chief investment strategist at Ally Invest and a CNBC contributor. She joins us on the CNBC Newsline. Lindsay, good morning. Your first trade today on this first day of the month. Yeah, um, I mean, so when you think of September, it really is the worst performing month of the year. And after we had, like you just said, seven months in a row of positive performance, a very long wind streak for the market, um, it, it's natural to get a little bit nervous, especially when you um, look at the backdrop that we're, we're entering. We did just have an excellent earnings season um, uh, for the S&P 500, which was a positive. But as we look forward, there's a lot of things that could lead to a rockier road, um, most of them driven by events in Washington. So, so we've got an infrastructure package. It's going to be continued to, to be talked about. We've got a spending package, $3.5 trillion budget um, that needs to be passed. Taxes are likely to accompany that. There could be a potential government shutdown. Then you've got the debt ceiling debate and uh, the potential reappointment of Fed Chair Jay Powell. So there's a lot on the table that could move markets uh, this month, especially since August, which is historically the third worst month of the year, was such a strong month. So this month might be rocky, but we're still optimistic about what the end of the year could bring. And also some concerns now around the state of the U.S. consumer, Lindsay, following that U.S. consumer confidence number dipping uh, to a six-month low. This comes after retail sales dipped in the month of July. Uh, is this something that you're, you're watching closely, and could this start to have a, a broader effect on the market? Yeah, I mean, definitely with the consumer confidence and sentiment reports that we recently got, you can see that the consumer is starting to become more cautious, especially I think it really um, dovetailed with the increase in, in Delta cases. And so I think it's an emotional impact that you're, you're seeing in the consumer because when you dig into the data deeper into some of, some of the uh, internals within those those reports, mm-hmm. for example, the conference board, consumer confidence, you saw um, the jobs jobs are plentiful versus the jobs are hard to get reading. Um, that really still remains at a historical high level. And as you know, we get the jobs report, the August jobs report on Friday, which we'll be watching very closely. Um, I'm optimistic that the consumer is doing well. We do have um, at the end of this month, another thing that could um, add a hiccup into the system is uh, the removal of unemployment benefits. So we got to keep a close eye on a consumer, but I'm cautiously optimistic that they are still, they're finding Finances are in a much better position than they were pre-pandemic. Um, the confidence levels have come down, but still remain um, in robust territory. Spending, I think, is what you're going to see pick up into the holiday season. So, uh, you know, just keeping a really close eye on the consumer. What do you make of Walmart announcing that it's going to be hiring uh, lots of people for this holiday shopping season? Is that a, a sign of confidence that retailers see demand growing despite this concern around the Delta variant and the consumer perhaps getting a little bit more cautious, as you just said. Yeah, no, I think that's a positive sign. Uh, certainly, if a, if a retailer like Walmart is, is making preparations like that, um, you can read into that as a positive. Uh, the savings rate still remains extremely elevated. Um, deposits at banks um, they've come down a little more recently, but still also very high, historically high levels. So the consumers' financials are in a much better position, like I said, than they were pre-pandemic. Given that last Christmas was, uh, you know, 
a Christmas that was practically forgotten because COVID. We couldn't spend it with family and friends. I think people really want to make up for that this Christmas. Uh, the question is going to be what are inventory positions, what are pricing, what does pricing look like? Um, but overall, I think the consumer is excited to have what could potentially be a more normal holiday season this year. Lindsay, you've given us a lot to think about this morning. Thank you for joining me today. Lindsay Bell. Thank you. And when we come back, after snapping a four-month winning streak, oil looking for a rebound as OPEC holds a key meeting today. What's ahead next? Plus, your big money movers of the morning. We know you love this segment. This stock specifically is up 16% in free market. The name we will reveal next. And later, breaking down what's at stake for Robinhood as the SEC weighs new rules that could curb its ability to make money. The former E-Trade CEO weighs in. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Let's take a look at oil prices recovering today after plunging in the month of August. There's new industry data that shows U.S. crude supplies fell more than expected last week. That follows losses yesterday from the impact of Hurricane Ida on refineries in Louisiana. Traders also tracking the OPEC Plus meeting, which begins at 11 a.m. Eastern today. OPEC, Russia and other allies are expected to stick to plans to add 400,000 barrels per day to the market each month through December. Let's talk about this and more with Bjorn Thunhagen, head of oil markets at Rice Tide Energy. It's great to have you on, Bjorn. Your thoughts on this OPEC meeting today? I mean, this is a group that tends to overpromise and underdeliver. Should we expect some action? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, you know the market widely expects this to be just a ratification of uh, of their plan of uh, bringing back 400,000 barrels a day of supply, also for October. Um, so this could be a, a non-event uh, at the end of the day, um, but the market is trading higher. Um, and I think we're seeing, you know, a little bit of uh, this classical pattern of, of buying the rumor. And if the decision actually is to just ratify a 400,000 barrel per day supply increase for next month, uh, we could see this um, uh, a, slight, a slight pressure downwards, at least on price after the fact. We talk about supply getting constrained. You have this tropical storm in Ida, uh, and then you have geopolitics. But yet, oil prices uh, slid in August by around seven percent. Why do you think that is? Oh, that was driven by um, concerns that uh, you know these uh, these variants that we're concerned about now, uh, the Delta in particular, um, was not going to be handled very quickly. For example, in in China in particular. 
so they made a, a very quick lockdown uh, of the economy and now seemingly have managed to somewhat get that under control. So the, the, the market was you know, expecting pricing in uh, weaker demand outlook uh, in Asia in particular uh, ahead. Uh, but now uh, some of those concerns have been, been uh, let's say, relieved uh, and, and the market is again focusing a bit on a recovery, recovering oil demand from here. But of course, not without risk. You follow oil very closely, Bjornar. How are you thinking about Afghanistan? Is this an isolated risk? Is this something that could become um, a larger geopolitical threat and the impact on energy, which you watch so closely? Yeah, I think so. Afghanistan is not important at all, of course, for for the oil market uh, in itself. But I think we need to pay very close attention to um, uh, maybe the power vacuum or the power struggle in the in the region here uh, over time, uh, and then it could potentially lead to um, you know changed uh, environment basically in in the region, uh, which of course is very important for oil supply and oil markets. So. Uh, it's a bit too soon to say what sort of, let's say, influence other powers such as the United States may have in the future of the region now that there is this vacuum there. Uh, we're watching Ida very closely. There were analyst estimates that gas prices could rise as much as 10 percent. Uh, but what are you forecasting? Uh, well, the, uh, yes, the net effect basically on, on um, supply and demand. Uh, is a little bit different from uh, the crude side of things versus the the product markets uh, and the end uh, end use fuel demand, for example, gasoline. So um, the way we see it now and also supported by by the um, Department of Energy's uh, own assessment is that uh, refineries, uh, which are consuming crude, are, are a little bit more down and will be down by a slightly longer duration as well than the Gulf of Mexico oil production. So it's a net positive effect on on crude in itself, but mostly a a positive effect on um, Gulf of Mexico-like crudes, like the medium sour grades in the Gulf of Mexico, and then uh, negative for the WTI uh, onshore uh, light sweet crudes. Uh, But gasoline, of course, since refinery production is, is down much more than than the end-use demand, gasoline prices will stay somewhat supported. Good analysis. Bjornar, thank you for joining us today. Have a great day. Still on deck. Why Investopedia readers are saying Bitcoin? Well, it's so 2020. Plus the new crypto coins getting all the love and attention here in September. We're back after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Are you up early trying to figure out what stocks are on the move? Well, here it is, the big money movers right now for stocks you should be watching 
in today's trading day. And we're going to kick it off with Anaplan. This is a stock that is surging in pre-market. The cloud computing firm reporting results for its most recent quarter ahead of estimates. The firm also hiking its outlook for the year. Take a look at Anaplan. Shares up 16% in pre-market. Let's turn to cybersecurity because CrowdStrike under pressure this morning despite reporting results that came in above analyst expectations for the top and bottom line. The cybersecurity firm recording earnings of 11 cents per share on $337 million of revenue for the most recent quarter. Stock down about 3%. But keep in mind, shares may be down, but CrowdStrike was a standout in the month of August, gaining about 11%. And it wasn't the only one. There's Sentinel and Palo Alto Networks. Both of those stocks seeing gains of around 15 to 13, 15% to 30% in August, respectively. Shares of Amberella are up in pre-market. The company's imaging solutions support products from Apple, GoPro, and others. It issued strong third-quarter guidance after topping analyst estimates for the second quarter, and that's why shares of Amberella are up nearly 8%. Let's talk retail. We've got PVH on deck. The owner of brands like American Apparel, Tommy Hilfiger, and Calvin Klein seeing shares pop after topping estimates for its most recent quarter. The company noting, however, that North American sales are expected to remain challenging as tourism levels continue to lag pre-pandemic levels. Still, the company did issue strong third-quarter guidance on earnings and revenue. Market is responding. Shares are up about 7%. Let's also get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera with that. Hi, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We begin with the search and rescue mission that's underway in California after a Navy helicopter crashed off the coast of San Diego. Six service members were on board. One crew member has been rescued. Their condition is unknown at this time. The search continues, though, for the remaining five. The chopper was assigned to the USS Abraham Lincoln. They were executing routine flight operations when it came crashing into the sea. Now to the devastation in Louisiana left in the wake of Hurricane Ida. This new drone video from Grand Isle shows the utter destruction. The Jefferson Parish president says the first rescue crews finally made it to the island, and they reported back that it is completely uninhabitable. Texas has sent its sweeping voting restrictions bill to the governor's desk. Republican lawmakers passed the legislation in a special session, ending a months-long battle with Democrats who fled the state to try and block a vote. Republicans say it will prevent voter fraud, while Democrats have decried the bill as Jim Crow 2.0, saying it is designed to suppress voters of color. One of tennis's top stars was tested by a teenager on the second day of the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic dropped the second set to 18-year-old Holger Rune, but leg cramping derails the Danes' upset bid. Djokovic rallies to win his match in four sets. Earlier in the day, though, American Maxime Cressy made waves with his five-set upset of nine-seated Pablo Carina Busta. And those are your headlines this morning, Seema. We'll send it back to you. I got to say, I watched that Djokovic match. I stayed up way too late. Uh, there, was a, there was a moment where I think a lot of people thought this 19-year-old was going to win and beat Djokovic in the first round, which would have been a huge upset, especially given the fact that both Nadal and Federer are, are not playing. Yeah. But uh, Djokovic pulled through. Um, as he sure did. We would have remembered that teenager's name by now, too. would have been more of a household name than it is now. Seema. Yeah. We've got some, definitely someone to watch. Francis, great to see you. Thank you. Sure thing. Straight ahead, we're going to talk bourbon, right? Because everyone can use a drink. Doesn't matter what time of day. Bourbon, scotch, beer. Kathy Woods has a new ETF that, the, that she says should be top of mind for investors. We will be right back with those details.
Good morning and welcome to September. Futures pointing to a higher open to start what is historically the toughest month for stocks. Bracing for the remnants of Ida, the New York City area under a flash flood watch and threats of tornadoes as a storm that devastated the Gulf Coast heads north. What's in search? New findings on what investors are asking about cryptocurrencies and how this could tell us a lot about where prices are heading. It is Wednesday, September, 20, September 1st, 2020. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. It is a new day, new month. So let's take a look at your money and how investors are shaping up for this new month. Uh, we are up pretty sizably here in extended trade. The Dow Jones Industrial indicating a higher open by 142 points, S&P 500 up 16, and the Nasdaq, you can see, up about 22 points in pre-market. Now, for the month of August, the two best-performing stocks on the S&P 500, check it out, Penn National Gaming and Etsy. So two companies that have really been betting on the return and the rebound of the U.S. consumer Penn National up around 19 percent. Etsy seen gains of 18 percent after reporting better than expected earnings. Now, on the flip side, two of the biggest laggards on the S&P in August include Perigo and General Motors. Uh, double digit losses there for the month of August. But how do stocks stack up against the rest of the world? Well, pretty well, actually, outperforming emerging markets with the exception of one market. And here we have it. It's India jumping around 8 percent just in the month of August. Uh, you can see for the year up around 47 percent. We've also seen a rebound in number of IPOs in India. And that's really fueled a lot of investor optimism around more companies finally going public. We'll have more on that later. But speaking of global markets, let's head to London and check in with my colleague Juliana Talbom for the latest in Europe. Juliana. Seema, good morning. Well, European markets are firmly in rebound mode this morning after a down day yesterday. As you can see here, every major region is trading higher and pretty sizable gains in the first couple of hours of trade. The first day in September, the CAC 40 over in France up more than 1%, so particularly strong performance there. Also, Italian and Spanish stocks performing quite well. Investors today digesting the final manufacturing PMIs for the month of August. Strong numbers for the euro area as a whole. A touch lighter than the flash estimate, but still we are looking at strong growth in the manufacturing sector. So the recovery is still going pretty well. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like here in Europe this morning. The majority of sectors are trading higher. Leading the way is travel and leisure up nearly 2%. And as we discussed earlier in the week, Seema, the travel sector here in particular, airlines got hit pretty hard by that new guidance from the EU on restricting non-essential travel from the U.S. So today we're seeing a bit of a bounce back in some of those stocks which uh, sold off earlier in the week. Retail up 1.7% and utilities. On the downside, three sectors trading in the red, autos, chemicals, and basic resources. Seema, back over to you. Love it, Juliana. A look at what's moving in Europe. Thank you. All right, back to markets. After seven straight months of gains, the markets may be facing risks that make September live up to its reputation as the worst month of the year for stocks. They include politics, Fed tapering, and the continued spread of the Delta COVID variant. According to CFRA, the S&P 500 has been positive just 45 percent of the time in September, going back to World War II with an average decline of a half a percent. But even with these looming concerns, Tom Lee, a fund strat, says he thinks the gains continue and that the S&P could add as much as 100 points this month. I'm in the camp that September 
probably surprises people because uh, even though the seasonal say we're down in September, whenever the market's up greater than 13% in the first half, September actually is one of the strongest months of the year. So I think we, we could actually have a pretty dramatic rally in September in the midst of a wall of worry because obviously there's a lot of things to worry about. Let's discuss with Jeff Hirsch, Chief Market Strategist at Probabilities Fund Management. And Jeff, I'm curious what camp you sit on, uh, which side of this, uh, this debate you sit on, right? I mean, some people would say history, you shouldn't bet against it. September is not a good month for stocks. Or do you agree with some of the bulls out there like Tom Lee who say this is a market that has more room to run? I'm more on the bullish side. I mean, there's there's one thing that trumps the uh, the the history of the seasonals, and that's the Fed. We just put a page in the new upcoming almanac, uh, Marty's Wags rules, and one of the main ones is don't fight the Fed. So I'm there with Tom. You know, he does great work, but uh, we're looking for maybe a little bit of a pause correction. End of the month is where you know we see most of that the week after triple witching, but I couldn't see much more than five percent or so, and I'm really not expecting much of a pullback. We're, we're pretty bullish through year end, so. Seasonals are, are part of what we do, but uh, the money's flowing pretty pretty wide open through the spigot from the federal government and, and the Fed. So, you know, seasonals, pause, but uh, there's so much behind. And, the you know, the Delta variant um, is, is, is there, but the vaccines are also there. And until we really hear something from the Fed uh, dictating that they're going to tighten up rates, uh, I think that the, the rally goes on. So do you just hold steady? Are you making changes to your portfolio? What are the best places to invest here on the first day of the month? Well, it's not only the first day of the month. It's uh, the third day before the Labor Day weekend, which right. is uh, the stronger of, of the of the days leading up to Labor Day as people begin to uh, make a little exit for the sort of that, that uh, last uh, you know gasp of summer. So Wednesday's a bit better, uh, up about uh, 75% or so. Um, for NASDAQ, about two-thirds of the time for the S&P and the Dow on this Wednesday before um, Labor Day. Uh, we're waiting for our, our MACD seasonal buy signal for the best six months. We've been a little defensive uh, as per our you know, history, historical seasonal trades. Uh, we'll be getting into uh, most of the growth sectors. But right now, we're just sort of sitting tight, waiting for the market to, to pause and, and, and give us a little bit of a technical signal that we're going higher. Some of the technicals and market internals right now are a little bit concerning, Breath is not so great. New highs are not so great. So we're going to be a little bit patient here and wait for the market to tell us when the rally is ready to resume and, in, 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 uh, you know, in okay. earnest for, for the year-end gains. Oil, uh, which is, you know, it has an effect on consumers. It has an effect on inflation. We still want to understand where this inflation story goes from here. But in Europe, a sizable move in consumer prices. It's actually what the Wall Street Journal editorial board is talking about this morning in its op-ed about how U.S. inflation prices, you know, inflation may not be a story you're watching as closely. But in Europe, it's worth mm -hmm. watching. Uh, how, closely are, how closely are you watching uh, inflation there? Uh, it's not something that we're watching so closely. We're looking more at the consumer sentiment here in the U.S., which is a little bit weaker. Um, I think the U.S. still drives what goes on in, in the marketplace overall, not as much as it used to. Um, but again, you know, we're bullish. This rally looks like it's going to continue. Potential for a slight pause here in September. Um, you know, Europe's uh, been lagging for, for many years to the U.S., and the U.S. has had a big, you know, incredible rally at one for the record books. So, uh, you know, I, I think U.S. markets are a place to be. The big tech stocks are going to be going forward, biotech, uh, the Qs, that sort of thing, um, mm -hmm. it, especially once we get a, a good 
technical signal in October for the rest of, for the best six months going into next year, April, May. Well, and the market seems to be brushing off those concerns for now. The Dow implied open 147 points here at the open. Jeff, good to see you this morning. Jeff Hirsch. Thanks for having me. All right, let's turn to another big story. Shares of Robinhood still reeling this morning, down more than 10 percent in the past week. On news, the SEC is considering banning a key money-making practice for the retail trading firm and that PayPal is exploring ways to let users trade individual stocks. But my next guest says the regulatory road ahead for Robinhood and the SEC is far from free and clear. Joining me now, former E-Trade CEO Carl Kostner, currently the CEO of Lefteris Acquisition Group. And Carl, good morning. Good morning, Seema. Thanks for having me. We heard those comments from Gensler yesterday. He says payment for order flow, the back-end payment brokerages receive for directing client trades to market makers has a, quote, inherent conflict of interest. Your response? Well, I think that's right, Seema. Look, this is a practice that's been around for a very long period of time. And every once in a while, it gets you know renewed scrutiny, renewed focus. I think Robinhood came out with its business model and basically said payment for order flow would be its its primary revenue driver, and that that's what they were going to rely on going forward. So you have individuals looking into this again. You might recall back in 2014, I think it was when Flash Boys came out. There was some focus around payment for order flow and what was happening in the system. But this is all part of the market structure and and what sits behind the amazing execution quality, the speed with which trades are executed, the enhanced receipt of um, what's known as price improvement by the retail trader. So this is part of a a, a bigger system that really would need to be looked at if there was going to be some kind of a ban or, or something to just pull that one lever of stopping payment for order flow. How big of a threat could this be for Robinhood's business? I mean, shares are down about 10% over the past week. Clearly, investors are, are taking notice. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, with, with Robinhood and, and what's gone on. They've proved to be extremely resilient. Right? They've faced a number of bumps in the road along the way. They've had their capital issues. They had some issues with you know, claiming some CIPIC insurance and some protection around some accounts that they had put in. Each time they've bounced back, and I think each time they've gotten a little bit smarter and a little bit stronger going forward, so would this be a hit to their business model? You know, of course it would. It's their primary revenue source. I think you know, last time it accounted for about 80% of their overall revenues. So this could be a big hit to their bottom line. But the entire industry has relied on or otherwise received payment for order flow as part of the current market structure and the, the current rules of the road, if you will, for the past you know, numbers of years. So this would be something the entire market would have to adopt to and, and sort of make their changes, whether that be through a subscription model, a tip model, right? There are a lot of different ways to, you know, continue to drive revenue. I just think that this current structure actually has provided the retail trader, hmm. the retail investor, you know, with the best execution quality they've ever received. To Robinhood's credit, it's done a great job at getting more millennials to trade, right? Uh, that seems to be its primary user base. At the same time, uh, you know, this talk about PayPal potentially entering uh, stock trading. How big of a threat could this be? How, how do you see this sort of story uh, playing out? You know, with, with my, my new hat in terms of Left Terrace and, and the SPAC that we've been looking at a number of really great fintechs, and, and we've seen a lot of um, new market entrants actually into the brokerage space or related into the brokerage space and providing those services to consumers or new market entrants who are learning how to invest or to trade. So I do anticipate continued competition, continued consolidation in this industry in particular. With PayPal, you know, anytime you have a, you know, a, a, 
the, the big gorilla in the room come to trade or come to bear into your market. You have to open your eyes and take a look. But PayPal would need to prove itself as you know, a, a market participant or someone who can actually drive retail trades through its otherwise payment platform. Right. So I think Robinhood has already proved itself as just an acquisition machine, right? Client acquisition machine, what they've been able to do to grow their customer base. Now they need to figure out how to monetize that customer base. PayPal is looking at it as more of a diversification of revenue streams and providing additional financial services to its customers now. So I actually think PayPal is the one that's going to have to prove that they can convert their user base and have their user base look at them for retail trading. Robinhood already has that. So I, I, I don't, you know, you're going to see continued competition. I don't think PayPal is, is going to be the you know, sort of death knell of Robinhood, oh. if you will. Um, but they're going to have to you know, keep, keep a watchful eye on, on the new market entrant for sure. Although you could look at PayPal's success with Bitcoin uh, and developing that Bitcoin platform uh, and say, well, maybe you can do the same thing with stocks. PayPal now a $340 billion company. Carl, really good really. to see you this morning. Thanks for your uh, thoughts today. Carl Rosner. Thanks, Simon. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, forget what is Bitcoin searches. Investors are getting much more savvy about cryptocurrencies. And the question they're now asking could tell us a lot about the future price performance. Some interesting data from Investopedia next. But first, as we head to break, some of your other headlines. Walmart is looking to hire 20,000 permanent workers for its supply chain operations ahead of the holidays. The jobs include positions such as order pickers, freight handlers, and forklift operators. Separately, the retailer announcing it will now offer grocery deliveries in parts of New York City through Instacart. Southwest Airlines pilots are suing the company, arguing the carrier has been making changes to working conditions amid the pandemic without negotiating with the union. And Kathy Wood is preparing a new ETF focused on transparency. It will follow an index that excludes industries including alcohol, banking, gambling, and oil and gas. The majority of the ETF stakes will be tech and consumer names such as Salesforce, Microsoft, Apple, Nike, Chipotle, and Tesla. An interesting move there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As the Gulf Coast begins the cleanup from Hurricane Ida, the East Coast is preparing to deal with the storm's remnants. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are under a flash flood watch, and tornadoes are a possibility. NBC's Bill Cairns joins us with the latest forecast. Bill, tornadoes. Yeah, this is going to be one of the more dangerous days we've had in a long time in areas of the Northeast. Uh, let's get right into it. So you can see all the heavy rain on the radar. It's all moving through areas of West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Now that heavy rain's moving up towards Philadelphia. Rain has begun in the New York City area. And the remnants of this storm is just going to get wrung out. It's almost like all that moisture is like in a washcloth, and it's just going to get squeezed out right over the top of Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey, and Connecticut as we go through this evening. 63 million people. And this is what's pretty rare. We're in what we call a high-risk of flash flooding. And that's 19 million people from New York City through the Catskills, through the Poconos, through central Pennsylvania, and through Connecticut. Some of these areas got about you know a ton of rain eight to nine days ago from Henri, so the ground's still kind of soggy. This is going to run off quickly into all the streams. And the predicted rainfall totals in 24 hours, anywhere between three to five inches, isolated areas could get eight inches of rain. And if that happens in any mountainous areas like the Poconos, the Catskills, through the Hudson Valley or western Connecticut, that's going to be really extreme runoff into streams and the rivers are going to flood. So obviously a dangerous day. And on top of all of that, 
just to the south of where the heavy rain is. Watch out from Philadelphia to Baltimore to D.C. to coastal sections of New Jersey and Maryland and Delaware. 43 million people at risk. We have a chance of seeing tornadoes, maybe even a few significant tornadoes later on this evening. So keep an eye to the sky and pay attention to your weather. We will. We appreciate your forecast there. Bill, great to see you. Thank you. Bill Karens. Okay. Thanks. August was another wild month for cryptocurrencies, but a lot of the action was not in the most popular and widely held digital assets. Crypto investors and traders have now found a new set of coins to play with. Investopedia's editor-in-chief, Caleb Silver, joining me now on what investors are looking for and how that has translated uh, into price performance. So beyond Bitcoin, Caleb, uh, what is it? What are people buying? So good to be with you, Seema. And we've seen so much promiscuity and also more sophistication on the part of our readers and on the part of crypto investors in the past few months, but especially in the past month. So we're always curious about what they're curious about and their new uh, queries about different types of coins and different types of ways to invest in the blockchain have really revealed a lot to us. So we found that uh, Cardano, very popular coin, very popular token, that's a decentralized proof of stake blockchain plat platform, uh, has the ADA token, very popular among our readers who are interested in investing in that. They're looking at blockchain ETFs. They're looking at which ones are the best ones to access uh, blockchain so they can invest in it without actually investing in Bitcoin. They're interested in DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, that it's like more like a venture capital firm uh, for crypto developers. But they're also interested in Ethereum's gas and Ethereum's gray. These are the pricing mechanisms uh, for developing Ethereum uh, in, their, in those tokens. So it's a, it's a sophisticated mm -hmm. audience. They've kind of moved on from Bitcoin, although a lot of people are still involved in it, obviously, and Ethereum yeah. and some of the other popular tokens. But it's become much more widespread. Why do you think that is? Are people getting bored with Bitcoin? Do they just want to diversify? Or is it the technology behind Cardano or Ethereum that somehow seems more appealing to the cryptocurrency investor? I think it's all the above. I don't think they're ever going to tire of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin enthusiasts, as we know, are there forever. They're holders forever. But I think that they're looking at what's being developed outside of Bitcoin. And I do think, Seaman, that some people are, are interested uh, and curious about the energy consumption that Bitcoin does require to develop. So if you're looking at, at other, uh, at Gwei, for example, or gas, they're looking at different ways of modeling and measuring how much energy it takes to develop some of these tokens. But there's also a lot of interesting technology being developed outside on the block blockchain where investors can get access to it. And I think that's what's attracting them right now. Whether it's Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, they still all face the, sa the, the same risk, right? Which is the SEC, uh, the, the prospect of more regulation. We had those comments on tape from Gensler yesterday. Uh, is that something that investors are telling you is top of mind? Yeah, absolutely. So we follow that very closely, and they're very curious about regulation around crypto, around what might come uh, from the SEC or from other regulators. But they're also curious about uh, hacking and the safety of Bitcoin. We have a lot of queries about what's the best wallet. Should it be in cold storage? Should they have their own separate wallet for it? How safe is it? Is it hackable? So people are interested, not just those folks who have been in it for a while, but new investors who are looking around this ecosystem, wondering how safe it is and which ways to access it if it's not going to be through Bitcoin uh, per se. Well, after a volatile start, Bitcoin up 14% in the month of August. It's trading right around $47,000. We'll see if you can get back up to 50. Caleb, great to see you. Good analysis, Caleb Silver. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, September is historically the worst month of the year for stocks. You know that, but does history repeat itself? We'll talk about what the fall of 2021 might have in store for investors.
September trading kicks off today after the S&P 500 notched its seventh, seventh straight winning month in August. That means the index has closed up since February of this year. And after a volatile start to the year, all the FANG stocks rebounding big in August, Amazon up around 5%, Netflix seeing gains of around 10%, Google you can see up 7.4% in the past month. Joining us now is Brian Levitt, Invesco Global Market Strategist for North America. Brian, good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's first talk about a, these group of stocks, the FANG names. Uh, they had a rough start to the year, but now this outperformance in August. How do you size up valuation? And, you know, pretty commendable that even uh, in the face of antitrust concerns, these stocks did outperform. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the year, it was all about reopening and the recovery of the economy. And so the names that had done incredibly well in a very slow growth environment and then even the shutdown of large segments of the economy had lagged a bit. And we've seen what's happened in more recent weeks where you've seen some slowdown in the Chinese economy. You have concerns, obviously, about the Delta variant and a slowdown in some of the reopening in the United States. And so those names that are structurally advantaged and the, the big free cash flow earners uh, are, are again outperforming. You know, valuations are elevated compared to the broad market, but I don't think that it's anything particularly ominous. These are the companies that are also generating earnings and revenue growth that far surpass that of the broad market. Do you think the, the rebound in technology that we saw uh, in, in August, some of that has to do with the sell-off in, in Chinese tech stocks amid this concern around regulation and what the government is trying to do there? Well, I mean, people will look to the United States uh, and China for structurally advantaged businesses. And to the extent that the Chinese regulators are uh, are getting or obstructing some of that structural advantage in China, then, yeah, it, presumably it makes sense that some of that money starts to find its way further back into into the United States. But I would say that it's even less about China and more about investors' expectations for future economic activity. I mean, the whole recovery reopening trade was was all about a reversion to the mean. If you were going to extrapolate that forward, you'd have to believe that the economy is moving to a new, higher, sustained level of growth. I always thought that that was an overstatement. So it's investors recognizing that the recovery and reopening was bound to happen and it was quick. And, and but but whether it was sustainable to move to a new, a new higher level of growth was probably unlikely. So if you moderate at a, at a reasonable growth level, then the structurally advantaged the structurally advantaged mm-hmm. growth company should outperform. If that's the case, what part of the reopening trade do you like? Is it the cruise lines, the casinos, uh, retail? Where would you put your money to work? Well, I think you'll have another leg of it at some point. I mean, right now what we're dealing with is a slowdown or or market's expectation of a slowdown. And so, you know, that's rates lower, growth stocks outperforming. I think you'll have another leg of the recovery trade. And that includes everything that you talked about, whether it's airlines or cruise lines or, or even financials and energy, which will do better in a better growth environment and a steeper yield curve. But it's going to take some time to get there because of uh, the, sh- the challenges of the Delta variant, and you're seeing some slowdown already in airline bookings, restaurant reservations, hotel bookings, which was bound to happen. So in the near term, you know, again, growth stocks are outperforming. We'll have another leg of this value trade, this recovery trade, but I don't think it's sustainable over a multi-year period. Yeah, names like Carnival up 12% in August. So some of, some of those reopening trades certainly working. Brian, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Brian Levitt.
And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm Seema Modi. Thank you for joining me. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.